Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 21st day of June 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. We are on page 31, second paragraph that begins, Here are some of the methods. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Marge, 12 Traditions, Lisa, Kim, Sally, Hoodie, and Sharon. And the share code for yesterday is 4663, 4663, yesterday the 20th of June. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Out of Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Marge from Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, excuse me, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overreaders and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the Twelve Traditions. Hi, this is Lisa. Good morning. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book, and we are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 31, the second paragraph that begins, Here are some of the methods. And I will now ask Kim if she would begin reading, please. Thanks, Monica. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, 
reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylum. We could increase the list ad infinitum. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and uh, I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So I have just read what my teen years and my 20s have been comprised of. So it says here, here are some of the methods we have tried. Now why have we tried them? We have gone over in the last couple pages why we've tried them. Because we wanted to be able to control and enjoy our eating. We were under the delusion that we could drink or eat like other people. These are the forms of self-deception and experimentation that we tried in order to prove we could eat like a gentleman, eat like a lady. And let me tell you, I have been a size 24, I have been a size 2, and I have been a size I currently am, binging and purging and exercising my cushy off. There is no peace regardless of where we are in this disease because I am a compulsive overeater. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And I will never, ever be a normal eater again. But I'm going to try that, limiting the number of drinks. The problem isn't that the, the, I eat the donut. The problem is I eat the fourth and fifth donut. So let me learn how to have a donut. You know, switching from scotch to brandy. Well, I'll just go to the, to the health food store. If I buy all my stuff at the health food store, I'll be okay. Drinking only natural wines. Well, if, I, if it's an organic form of my binge food, and that's truly nutritious, I'll be okay. And one of my favorites, taking a trip, not taking a trip. Because it doesn't matter what our decision is. If we truly are a compulsive overeater, we can try all these methods, all these forms of self-deception and experimentation. But if we do not put the food down 100% so that we can have the clarity of mind, and if we do not walk through these steps to have a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, a spiritual personality change, our minds will always tell us to go back to the food, regardless of what we do here. You know, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. I always gave myself these, these uh, barriers. Well, when I'm done high school, I'll be different. When I turn 21, I'll do it. When I reach 200 pounds, when the doctor threatens me that I have to go on high blood pressure in my 20s, I just kept lowering the bar because this disease was pulling me down. Because I had to recognize, no matter what methods I used, food was not my problem. The fact was, my problems began when the food was put down. When the food was put down, I became restless, I became irritable, and I became discontent. And at this point, the only solution I knew, the only solution I knew, was to pick up that food to get that ease and comfort. And once I triggered the allergy, I would start that vicious cycle over and over again. So I'm sure that each of us could increase this list ad item. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Melanie from Boston. I heard um, Katie and Melanie. Mel, uh, Katie, go first, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. And um, yeah, me too. Um, I really can identify. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I remember I had this like rat race of a, of a brain thinking, okay, if I 
drink cold water all day and don't eat until 2 p.m. Like just my brain was constantly thinking of the ways that I could um, just starve myself and then uh, get the food because I thought I believed the lie that the food would fix it or I believed the lie that if I could just, you know, um, get to the right weight and then, then I'd be able to eat everything I needed to eat and then I would be okay because what the, the food did something for me. What it did for me is I remember, you know, like being so completely out of my mind with fear as a little girl, you know, because people were coming over for my birthday party and then eating all this, you know, flour and sugar and throwing up. But that sense, that, that sense of ease and comfort, like I remember thinking about it and being like, oh, okay, so I've got all this fear coming up, but it's going to be okay because it's going to be fixed by food, right? Like food was my special thought. Food was like my, my saving grace. And that was the lie, you know, that food was going to save me. Um, I, and, I, and, you know, I saw other people taking bites of these different foods without impunity, you know, without punishment. I saw them and I, I just thought I could wish or will myself. I mean, I changed my name. I decided Katie was a fat girl name. And so um, when I graduated from high school in an anorexic body, I thought, okay, well, Katie's a fat girl. Katie's a fat girl is going to stay at home and Tass a thin girl is going to go to college. And a year into college, I was 228 pounds, you know, because my thinking got so bad, my fear of other people, my resentment of other people, my selfishness, my going to other people to meet and fill my needs and then them failing me time and time again while I was not eating became so messed up in my head that I had to eat. And what I once I put that food in my body, it became my drug of no choice. You know, I went to Malawi, Africa. I thought I could lose weight in a third world country, you know. But again, like that period of controlled eating was, was cut off because I just couldn't make it with my thinking. Um, so I just want to echo, you know, this is, you know, I, I, looked, I looked for relief in the food. I thought it could help me. I thought it could, could quiet the mind. And today, thank God, you know, food is not my, is not my happy thought. God is my source. God is my happy thought. God will take care of me if I choose and when I choose to work this stuff every day. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Melanie, go ahead. Hi, good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. And I'm um, just setting myself up here a little bit to remember that we're learning more about alcoholism. This is Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism. And the paragraph before said, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. So now the author is writing out a litany of ways in which some... um, ideas in which a normal person wouldn't go about trying to be even concerned about the way they were drinking or what they were doing and so that I can continue to identify him. But I'm going to tell you something. I've read these things before and I went, oh, yeah, 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 I did that same thing with my food. I did some crazy things and I could mention to you many kinds of food ideas, food plans, food diets, whatever I did that were a little bit off the charts that I did just so it would coincide with the way I like to eat, that I could incorporate my special, special go-to kinds of foods into a diet plan. But I forgot that what this chapter was telling me is more about my disease, that this is a method that normal people wouldn't have to go into in order to list what they were doing and I had to get a whole new idea and I have to confess I didn't do that until I got in here and studied this book. So I just want to mention that maybe there's another person on the line 
it's like me. I can read this and, and I can go down all the diets that I've ever tried. I can explain to you all the things that I did, but I wanted to make sure that I say out loud for myself that they're telling me more about the characteristics of a person that's alcoholic that really is. They're teaching me more about so I can get the idea that I am in this class or I'm not in this class. So, because that is so critical. You know, we hear on this line oftentimes that there are many of us that come into these rooms that are not real compulsive overeaters. Although the big book indicates that this method they expect would work for anything or anybody and all folks, no matter addict or not. But we want to make sure that we understand that we are in this class, that we really, really are real compulsive overeaters. And so they're giving me this piece in this particular paragraph that outlines the normal person does not do this kind of thing with food. And I don't have to go any farther by mentioning to me, me myself, and giggle about, yeah, I did that too, and some of the odd ways in which I had, um, it was already mentioned, it was just really kind of interesting. So I, I'm just mentioning that out loud. If anybody else here on this line read these things before and kind of giggled and still didn't get the idea that they're trying to tell me <laughs> that this is not what normal people do, that in fact this is these are characteristics of a true real alcoholic. I just wanted to say that out loud. Thanks, Monica, and with that I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Jean from Massachusetts. Is Paula may I ask you? I heard someone from Massachusetts, but I did not catch your name. Your name, please? Jean. Jean. All right. Jean, go ahead, and then Paula. Thank you. Um, my name is Jean, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, working on early abstinence. Um, uh, as I was reading this uh, paragraph, I was thinking uh, back about um, the times that I started program. I, I, I first came into OA in the early 70s, and it was all about binging and, and uh, I mean, purging and starving uh, away 10 pounds back then. And it was all about the weight. And uh, I had women in the group say to me, wow, you know, look at you, you know, uh, you dropped 10 pounds in one month. And, yeah, you know, I was kind of smug and felt great. And and I'm discovering that there's this smugness about me um, I either think I know everything or don't know anything, um, the extreme, <clears throat> and um, I can rise above. And I need to make sure that I understand that this is a disease, that there's no way I am going to be able to eat like a normal person. Um, I you know, have bouts of eating like a normal person, but that doesn't mean that I'm quote unquote cured. Um, I've I've gone through just as so many have in that paragraph, food plan after diet after method of losing weight or being able to binge and purge and all these insane things that you know I didn't know other people did this. I thought I had this really fabulous secret, as I'm sure many did, um, as to how to maintain my weight. You know, and when people would say, "Wow, well, you know, look at you can eat this, and you know, you're so thin," and I think to myself, "Yeah, boom, isn't that fabulous?" But then it would catch up with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
and um, then I'd be off trying something else. Um, my concern is that I need to know in my heart of hearts that this is a serious disease, that this is not just finding the right food plan and then I can leave because that's not what it's about. That's never been what it's about. Um, growing up in a crazy household and and being sexually abused by my father um, and a crazy mother were a lot of the things that maybe spun off my disease, whatever. All I know is that I looked for an anesthetic for most of my life, and and to me, food was that fabulous anesthetic. And I had to find a way to keep it in my life using whatever diet and food plan um, to be able to maintain my eating. And when I was not able to maintain a food plan, it w- I would say to myself, it's almost like there's a, uh, a some evil inside of me that I just have to wait until it spends itself so that I can get back onto a food plan. And um, it was no evil inside of me. It's I'm a compulsive overeater, mm-hmm. and yep. that's it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jean. Paula, will you share, please? Thank you. This is Paula. You know, I was going to scoot on down to those last few words. And then I said, no, I'll go to the beginning of the sentence. It begins at the top. Here are some of the methods we have tried. And then we see comma, 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 an interval. Every interval I learned more. I learned more about who I was. And here we read the chapter about more about alcoholism. Did I fit? Perfectly. Perfectly. Now I will say honestly, here is where I didn't want to fit, but fit I did. I would read everyone and add mine, but that part at the end. That part at the end. We could increase, it says we, so come along. We could increase the list at infinitum. Oh, I never say that right, but that's okay. That's a state or quality of being infinite. Unlimited extent of time, space, quantity, etc. Immensity. Immense it was. It would go on and on and on. And we could all add to and increase this list. We are different. Indeed, we are. And you can create your own list. But a list it is. A list it is. I thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here. Um, Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. They're talking about normal people here. And here are some of the methods we have tried. So they're giving us here a whole list of different methods, different ways we have tried to eat normally, to eat like normal people. And, I, you know, and if you can identify even just one of these things, that's good. That's good. Because they're ha- wanting us to identify here. And then all of these methods, these are, we are beyond human aid. And these are all human ways that we have tried to um, deny that we are compulsive overeaters or maybe, you know, that thought that maybe there's another way. Maybe I can do this. But you know what? Way back in the doctor's opinion here, we learned 
that we are compulsive overeaters and we have a disease. And there's a, the physical allergy part of it and the mental obsession part of it. And the mental obsession is the greater aspect of our disease. And this whole chapter on more about alcoholism is giving us examples of the experimentation we do to try to prove we are not. And just the idea that we're doing this stuff, we're crazy. And we have the obsession of the mind. Um, so if you can identify with any one of these methods, you know, you're probably a compulsive overeater. And with that, I will pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on to the next here? Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much for this wonderful meeting. Wow, it gives me, wow, it brings me so much back. And I hear, I hear the words normal people, normal people, normal people. Yes, for normal people, uh, if they are tired, they go to sleep. If they are hungry, they go to eat. If they want to diet, they know exactly what to eat and not, not what not to eat, and it's okay. But we are not normal people in regarding food. And I see myself wasting so much time and so much effort and so much energy in doing something that it's not for me. I was trying so many things in my life, and I did so many things to lose weight, and I, I lost weight, but always I gained them back and triple. And I didn't understand what's going on. I thought, yes, I am a normal person in regarding food, and if I, am, I cannot diet, it means something is wrong with me. I am not a good person. I am not a smart person. And I started to blame myself and to develop emotional issues. And, you know, now, thank God that I am in that program, I understand that I was... All my life, I tried to, to look for something in a wrong place, in a wrong direction. It's like to look for something that I lost in the wrong place. So for sure I will not find what I'm looking for because not there I lost it. And this is the same thing. I, am, I have a problem with my eating because I have an allergy to food and obsession, obsession in my mind. So I have to deal with this thing. The, the, the food is not the problem. The food is the, a symptom. Until now, I was working on the symptoms. So all the time, my sickening in regarding food came up. Now, thank God, I, I, have, to do, to, I have the tools to deal with the, with the sickening, with the problem, with the, the food is only a symptom, a part of my disease. And, wow, it's such a, a relief to know that I, I found already the place that I lost the thing. You know, now I know that my weight problem is a symptom. It's not the sickening by itself. And I have to work not only on the diet. I have to work on my spiritual level, on my emotional level, 
and on my physical level. And only when all these three le- levels are coming together, there when with the help with God, and I can, I can manage and I can deal with the problem. Thank you very much for letting me share, and with this I pass. Thank so you, Tara. Like Let's move. Who was that? Dawn. Dawn? Okay, uh-huh. go ahead, Dawn. And you're okay. sharing on uh, this paragraph. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, this paragraph is what uh, changed my whole um, idea, uh, convinced me I was a food addict. I, I, when I first came into the program about a week, uh, week ago, oh my goodness, about a year ago, um, I, it was hard to wrap my head around uh, the alcoholic, alcoholism, um, and then I read this paragraph, and I knew that addiction is addiction is addiction. And because uh, I had tried all these little methods and, and more, as it says, and that's all I wanted to say is that it changed my perception of myself. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sally, would you read, please? Excuse me? Yes, Monica, are you there? Can you hear yes, me? Yes, I'm. Yes, I can, Sally. Go ahead. Okay. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. I'm Sally. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And um, I want to start by sharing we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic. And we should understand that that's not my job. That's not our job to pronounce any other individual as a food addict or a food a compulsive overeater. But you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking or, for, in our case, eating. It's an interesting concept. I learned in this, in this last year that if you're trying to control it, most likely it's controlling you. And, you know, this reminds me of how they're coming out with all these little pre, uh, these little sized bags of cookies and the, and the little pre-packaged ice creams, all forms of control for people like me. Not that it worked, because even if I bought a little six-pack of diet Klondike ice cream, it still screamed to me. Even if I made plans, one a day, Sally, come on, you can do this. No, that didn't work for me. Because I was trying to control it, and it was controlling me. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Here we have, you know, sort of a continuation of the the line, be, you know, the paragraph before this, giving us a list of um, the different ways that we try to control the our eating disorder. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. And it does take a level of rigorous honesty. Uh, all of us have our list of 
the crazy diets that we tried. There's so many crazy diets out there, and, and, and even some of the diets that really do work for other people. I was a person who tried 23 points of ice cream and then borrowed on next week's points. Um, those don't work for me. And I just had to get to a place of rigorous honesty. Okay, this is not going to work for me. When I came to this program, Overeaters Anonymous, I heard this term, OA is the last house on the block. And I cannot tell you how scared I was when OA wasn't working for me anymore after so many years of abstinence and then falling off my abstinence. Until finally I found this little tent in the backyard of the last house on the block. And the tent was called A Vision for You. And in that tent were a bunch of people with flashlights pointed at this book, this wonderful book, the big book. I always wondered why I would go to some meetings and I'd walk away feeling like I had some strength and others where I had none. And I really have come to realize it's because some meetings they were reading the big book and some they weren't. Herein lies the solution. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. And I just want to end with this, a full knowledge of your condition. What that says to me is this, these chapters that we're reading are like I'm standing on the shore and the water is not calm. There's just little rippling, little tiny waves coming to my feet. And what I see here in each of these paragraphs is step one, rolling onto my feet. Step one, over and over and over. Because in truth, we are being presented with the steps. And here we see step one, a full knowledge of our condition. Can I fully admit that I'm powerless over this substance, food in general, and that my life had become unmanageable? That's where we are here in these pages, in these paragraphs, in these sentences. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie. I'm I Jill. heard Katie, someone else, Jill. and then it's Sheila. Kim. Kim. Katie, and then Kim, and then Sheila. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, um, you know, the, to me what this is showing us is that these are temporary fixes. You know, if you can succeed with a temporary fix, uh, by losing your weight and then, you know, you never uh, go back to, you know, whatever, you know, maybe you, you were pregnant and you gained 50 pounds and so you try a diet and then you lose the weight and then you go back to being normal. But that is, <laughs> this is showing us that that is never going to happen. If you're truly a compulsive overeater, it gets worse, never better. And you know, all of these different ideas that are in the previous paragraph and then this suggestion, you know, step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and then stop abruptly. You know, I could not do that. I could not have, um, you know, go to a wedding and just eat a little bit of the, um, the yummy food and then forget about it. <laughs> That's what normal people do, but that is not the way I um, I was wired. And so, 
you know, I can't decide for someone else if they really are um, a compulsive overeater. But if you are looking at this list and identifying only to a few of them and think, well, I'm not so bad, well, then it's only a matter of time. Because when I first came in, uh, you know, when I first came to my first OA meeting uh, when I was 14 years old, you know, I just had a little bit of a problem and I thought this was crazy. This was craziness to think that you had to give up, you know, food forever. And when I came back at 21, I was not able to successfully diet, but I just thought, um, I still thought that it was just a temporary problem and that I would someday be able to eat like other people. You know, that idea has to be smashed. And, you know, if something's smashed, if I drop a glass on the ground, you know, let's say a, a nice ceramic plate, and you, it was just a display item, and so, you know, you can glue it back together, and it doesn't, you know, you can make it so it doesn't look like it was ever broken um, from a distance. But if something is smashed, that means it's unrecognizable, that you cannot, you know, there's just, it's pulverized, you know, like we recycle things now. It's, it's you don't use it as the same function. And that idea has to be smashed that I will somehow someday drink or eat like other people. But I cannot make someone realize that they are at that place. All I can tell them and all I can tell you is that I no longer want to eat like other people. I do not look at other people eating, you know, the summer food products and the you know, at Christmas time or at Halloween, I don't drool over those foods anymore. I don't, I'm not trying to connive away to be able to eat, you know, foods that are sort of like that. I don't make concoctions with my food plan to make it taste a certain way. I'm not trying to recapture the spirit of other days because I understand I am a compulsive overeater and I have been diagnosed, and I know that I cannot go back and ever grow new legs like we talked about yesterday. You know, but I spent years and years trying to prove that I was not like this, that I was not as bad. I would never be like these crazy people, you know, I heard about when I was 21. Um, it's a progressive disease, and we have progressive recovery. One day at a time, I don't have to go back to that way of life, and I don't want to. I don't miss it. I don't have this yearning to, you know, go out to happy hour and eat all that happy hour food, and, you know, it's just gone. And I could not muster that up on my own. It is a miracle. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Kim, go ahead. Hi. Um I'm Bianca. I'm in New York. Is it okay if I share really quick? Kim is going. We have a lot. Kim and then Sheila, and then we'll. I'll get back to you. Good morning, everyone. Again, this is Kim. Um, step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. You know, I did this experiment without even ever reading the big book. You know, when I was in high school, when I used to babysit, now I never picked a job because of how well the kids behaved. What I did is I would accept a job, and then when I, once I checked out their cabinets, if the food was good enough, I'd take the job again. 
So I was really good at getting those kids to bed on time because I'd make sure they were all tucked in nice and sweet and I would go downstairs and I would try this experiment of some controlled eating. And I would go in their pantry and I would take out three cookies and I would go in and start to read, you know, read, watch TV again and that, those cookies would talk to me. And I would go back in and I would just try to have three and I would go back into the other room and then I would come back and I would have three more and then I would, at the end of the night I'd push all the cookies to the front of the sleeve so maybe they wouldn't notice I ate all the food behind it. That was my own experiment. I couldn't do that. I would always go back. Now, I love tomatoes. I, I, tomatoes are one of my favorite foods. But if I get up and I have a tomato and I go back, I'm not thinking about going for the second tomato. I'm not thinking about the third tomato. I enjoy my tomato. So where is the allergy? We have to be sure. Where is the allergy? That controlled drinking. What are our substances that are that alcohol? Because if I take that tomato and I start to add some of my binge foods in a salad, and suddenly I think I can't eat a tomato, I'm using that, that delusion in my head, I can't eat anything. I'm allergic to everything. We have to get specific. Because if you are honest with yourself about it, we have to be rigorously honest. And it is a little more complicated with compulsive overeaters. We have to get down to what are those common ingredients in those foods that when we try this controlled drinking experiment, that we will always go back. And maybe we will not go back that night. Maybe I was able to only eat three or four cookies, but I couldn't wait till the next time those people went out so I could go back and babysit and see what else was in their pantry. So that's the rigorous honesty. Sometimes we think if we don't binge in that next 10 minutes, oh, I'm okay. But once, maybe we have a little bit of willpower at this point, and maybe the next day or the next day that, that those obsessive thoughts will bring us back to those ingredients, bring us back to those foods. So we have to be rigorously honest of what triggers that allergy. And once we identify those foods, that is our alcohol. We can never, ever, ever have them again. So I know that most of us know maybe if we've never read this experiment, we have tried this experiment many, many times. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Sheila, go ahead, please. Hi, this is Sheila from New York. Good morning, everyone. Wow, these are two um, very, very good paragraphs. I want to identify my seat and clean my seat this morning. Uh, my circle, um, trying from scotch to brandy. I remember going from sweet to unsweetened drinks, um, going from white to brown flour, going from white bread to brown bread, going from white rice to brown rice. Um, I remember doing that, going to all natural things, thinking like all natural healthy things, I would be fine. Reading inspirational books. I got a bookshelf full of them. I can quote some of them page by page and kept looking and looking and looking. Um, July 2005, I wrote in the side of this here because this was a, there was something going on with the family, and I thought I could control six or whatever and could not and started eating to feel better. And it seemed like I was like, well, i eat until I get full. This particular day, I missed this night. I never got full. I never got talk. I said, well, how come we not full? I'll keep eating. I can't even tell you what I was eating, but I know I kept waiting to get this full feeling, and it never came. Never came. Finally, I guess I was just, it 
exhausted from just eating and wanted to go to sleep and couldn't sleep, couldn't lay down, couldn't sit up. It was just the most miserable feeling I had ever had in my entire life. I had been in and out of the room at that time. Um, it took me back to OA that next week, that very next week. I was on vacation, too. Vacations are a little shaky for me. So I'm remembering saying it out loud that when I go on vacation, the next two weeks I'm still dialing in. Maybe not at seven, but I'll dial in because vacations are tricky for me. There's no vacation from yourself or from your disease, and sometimes I get like that. But in July 2005, I was identified with not being able to stop, waiting to get full, and never got full. And it was the most uncomfortable night of my life. And whenever I think I don't have that disease, I go back and read what I journal on that day, and it brings me back to perspective. I thought that my problem started in college for the first time, issues about performance, anxiety over trying to still be an A student. I, I really thought it started there, but some recent work with a recovered person let me know my issue really started at age five. At age five, when the deprivation was triggered. So I've been having this issue with food for a very long time. Um, I can't eat donuts. I can't eat chocolate chips. I don't eat them. I haven't eaten them in years because that's something that will send me off. It's definitely send me off. I don't know what it is about them, but I know for today I don't eat them. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, all right? Um, you know, as compulsive overeaters, as alcoholics, we don't want anybody telling us what we are or who we are or what to do, you know? So the big book here, they're very, very smart, these 100 recovered people. But you can quickly diagnose yourself. And this is something, a conclusion, that we have to come to ourselves. You know, step one, conclusion step. I have to admit that I am powerless over compulsive overeating. Now, if I'm having a little issue here with this that I'm not too sure, I don't think so, they're saying, okay, you can quickly diagnose yourself. All right, step over into the nearest kitchen there. Try a little controlled eating. All right, let's say that chocolate kisses are your favorite binge food. How about you try eating two a day for the next month? No more, no less. And see what happens. Now, if you are a true compulsive overeater and they are a binge food, you are going to set off the physical allergy. And you are going to start craving. And you are going to have to eat. It might not be immediately. It may take a few days. You might have some willpower, a little willpower going on there, or a little bit of determination going on there that will hold you back for a few days. But then that allergy is definitely going to kick in. Sooner or later, it's going to kick in. And, if it, and also... You're the obsession of the mind is going to come in. And, in your, and it's going to say to you, oh, it's okay, you can add one more, and you'll be able to stop at three. But if you are a real compulsive overeater, you will not be able to control this for any length of time. That is our history. Those are our experiences. 
And it says here, if you are honest with yourself about it, honest, sincere, truthful, will not lie, cheat, or steal, if you are open, if you are straightforward, if you are good, if you are true, if you are correct. These are all definitions for honest. If you are honest with yourself about it, if you are a real compulsive overeater, you will have to admit you cannot control it. You take that binge food, and that binge food is going to take you. And with that, I pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Amy. Amy, go ahead. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater, recovered from Maryland. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. You know, as Monica was saying, how brilliantly these guys have put it down. They have been there, done that. And, you know, we hear Bill's story in the beginning. I mean, let's review these chapters. We hear Bill's story. We identify in. They talk about a solution, saying we are recovered. We have a way. We have a common solution. It works. We have more than 100 of us who have recovered. Then we get into more about alcoholism, and they give us more detailed information. And now an actual way to prove. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've sat in a meeting and the newcomers come up to me and said, how do I diagnose that I am a compulsive overeater? How do I know? And here's a concrete example. I mean, these guys are pretty sure, aren't they? If they say, go ahead, because we know what's going to happen if you go out there and you try to control it and you're a true compulsive overeater or alcoholic, we know exactly what's going to happen. Eventually, you won't be able to stop abruptly. Eventually, you will be thinking about food 24-7. Eventually, food will control your life instead of you trying to control it. And like others have said, the stronger you try to control it, the more there's probably an issue there. But the reality is, and let's go back up to the prior paragraph, it says, despite all we can say, those who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class by every form of self-deception and experimentation. That's what we're going to do. We're going to experiment. I don't know about you, but that's what I did. I sat in the OA rooms for four years still experimenting. I was in the rooms listening but not hearing, not understanding. But I'll tell you what a great motivator was for me eventually was pain. You know, it says in step one, I encourage you to read it. Step one, John Barleycorn, in our case, Sarah Lee, was our best advocate. The pain of where I was is what eventually motivated me. How much pain do you want to be in is what my sponsor used to say. The hole stops when you stop digging. The bottom stops when you stop digging or whatever that slogan is. The reality of the pain of what I was doing, I may not have been exactly sure, but eventually I knew that I couldn't stop. And these ex- these ways and these methods, you know, I tried them all. They say OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because you know too much. And every binge is like, oh, no, does this mean I'm a compulsive overeater? Does this mean I'm going to be a compulsive overeater? Every binge for four years is what I did. But the pain of where I was eventually motivated me to move. And my sponsor kept saying, how much pain do you want to be in from this disease? How much pain? So Sarah Lee was my main motivator. I understood what was being said, but I listened and I didn't hear. So for the newcomers out there, please be hearing, be hearing. How much pain do you want to be in from this disease until we finally surrender to who and what we are and get on with the business of recovering? And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Amy. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Hoodie, could you read, please? Hi, Monica. This is Hoodie, our compulsive overeater. And um, though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. And I like how um, in this chapter, more about alcoholism, is now they're going to start, you know, um, in the next couple of paragraphs, they're going to start giving us an example of people who for a, a while they had a desire to stop and, you know, and eat without um, and without any consequences. And, and that's what I did. And um, I thought, oh, me, I'm not a compulsive overeater. But, you know, because I'm able to stop and moderate if, I, if, there was a, if there was a reward waiting for me. And the idea that it will get worse. This, prog- this disease is progressive. And, um, and, and I just needed the pain, all that pain of, of all my um, binges and all my eating from before it just got smaller and smaller. And I just, I had to, um, even a desire to stop did not work for me for a long time. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. Would Leanne? anyone like to comment? Leanne, go ahead, Leanne. Hi. <clears throat> I'm covering compulsive overeater. And um, this is bringing up a lot of stuff for me. Uh, one of the things that I, I'm so happy I can say this today because I didn't realize it was the, the disease that had to convince me. But sometimes my kids will say to me, don't you miss the taste of this? Oh, you don't know what you're missing. Can't you have this? And all I can say to them is, just for today, I'm not having it. Just for today, I don't have to eat that. You know, just for today. Well, what about tomorrow? Are you going to have this tomorrow? Well, I'll make that decision tomorrow morning. You know, I only have to stay in the moment, in the day, and know that I feel so good being able to eat the way I do today. And I don't want to throw that away. And um, it took a lot of convincing for me. And one of the things that kept me out of program was those small periods, like maybe three months or six months, of being able to eat three meals a day with nothing in between all of a sudden. Somehow I'd get, like, I remember before my wedding, I had a six-month period. I was just eating regular food like regular people, not eating in between, eating the next meal, not eating in between. And that, that six-month period, I my mind kept going back to that for years, saying, like, you know, you can do this. Remember? You had six months. Out of 39 years, I had six months. You know, the mind is just so insane, you know, and um, finally, when I was able to admit that I was mentally ill in this area of my life, that was one of the biggest things that helped me accept my condition. Like we say here, who I am and what I'm up against. I couldn't believe that there were people um, eating and only having God and water in between their meals. And I, I could never imagine doing that. But it took it took more than my sponsor saying that to me. One person, I tried to do it with one person saying that to me but for me it took it took the worldwide power of 
of OA and people who were living this way to convince me, hearing it over and over that people in Hawaii and Sweden and Germany, all over the world were doing this. Thank God for phone meetings because it took a lot of convincing for me to believe that this is what I was going to have to do. And going through the withdrawal and getting to the place I needed to be with my food was was a lot. And without that fellowship around me, I couldn't have made it through the withdrawal. So I know that, um, you know, the things that we're told to do here, to reach out and to branch out, are really, really important. Um, I needed those people to hold me up when my knees were really, you know, weak and crumbling. I needed to learn how to pray through the fellowship. But mainly the convincing of the disease, the disease convincing me is, is really what I'm getting out of this. Thinking that I would thinking that I would outgrow it at age 21, maybe at age 30. Oh, no, when I'm 35, for sure, when I'm 40, I'll outgrow this. And it never happened and just progressed and progressed. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leanne, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you please read a a vision for you? I sure can, Monica. This is Sharon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.